the WJPZ Alumni Association proudly congratulates Mina Yona, 2024 Hall of Fame inductee. Here's her episode of the podcast, originally published in November of 2022. For half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. It may not surprise you to know that alumni often talk about students, particularly when the student is a budding rock star. I can tell you that for today's guest, when she was PD of the station, people like Josh Wolf and Matt Del Signo were telling me about this woman and how she was going to be destined for big things, and they could already tell. Today's guest is Mina Yona, aka Mina Say What, class of 08. Welcome, Mina. I'm a rock star. You're the rock star. <laughs> your whole your whole studio is uh, soundproofed. It looks amazing. <laughs> it looks better than it functions. No, it's all good. And new mom too, by the way. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. So Mina, you've got a great story of how you started at the station. Tell us how you went from the station and your career path and how you ended up the big deal that you are now in Philadelphia. Kind of walk us through it if you don't mind. So I actually, I call it, I bumped into the radio station. I don't know if uh, you remember Sean Scott, Mm -hmm. but his uh, DJ name is DJ S1. So uh, Sean and I met when we were doing Summer Start, which is the program where you come on campus prior to your freshman year. So I was the girl that memorized all the lyrics. I had all the CDs. Back in the day, we listened to CDs. Yeah. So that was always my personality. I was always a, a, a fan of music. I loved hip hop. So him and I connected off of that, just songs, you know, artists that we liked while we were at Summer Start. So one day, Sean actually asked me to come into the radio station to fill in for his host, who at the time just didn't show up. Wow. And that's kind of how it happened. (laughs) You know, like the first time he was like, wow, you're a natural. You feel natural. You sound natural. You look very comfortable. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, this feels kind of fun. So I stumbled into the station. That's how it started. And it kind of, as we all know, it kind of just bites you. You know, it's kind of like it just, you fall in love with it instantly. And then it's like something I never wanted to leave. I remember I thought I was going to be like an attorney. <laughs> I was going to ask, you said you bumped into it. You were headed off to Syracuse and you had other plans, I'd imagine, right? Yeah. So I had already declared thinking I knew my whole life. You know, when you're that age, you think you know everything. I'm like, <laughs> I have my whole life planned out. I'm going to be an attorney. And I had already decided that I was going to pursue political science, which is, you know, you do poli sci, then you go off to law school. And that's kind of how it is. And then I remember telling my mom, like, mom, I want to make radio my major. And I thought she was going to be like, no. And my mother's Spanish. What are you doing? (laughs) You know, like, but she was really encouraging. And she actually told me, which I didn't know at the time, she never told me the story that she used to do radio as well. Oh, wow. In Peru. Yeah. So when she told her family that she wanted to do radio, you know, back in the day, if you were a woman, you were only like a secretary, a nurse. There were very limited jobs that you can do, especially in these other countries. They told her that's not a real job. She's not going to make money off of that. Like, go, you know, put your energy into having a real job. So she ended up going into nursing. My mother was like in the medical field as my father was, and she was a nurse. 
So she was actually really encouraging because that happened to her. And she said to me, like, when I wanted to do radio and I told my family, they were like, that's not a real job. You know, you're not going to make any money off of that. And that's still true. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all know that? Yeah. But she was really encouraging. And I think that really helped me really just throw my all into it. And thankfully, I've been able to make it into a career. And, you know, this is all I've ever done since I was 18 years old. But it was really me just stumbling on the radio station, feeling very comfortable at the station. I'll never forget the day that Dion Summers walked in. I was a freshman and it was our first like banquet. And Dion rushed into the studio. He was like, what's your name? What year are you in? And I'm like, I'm a freshman. My name is Mina. And by that time, I already had my own shift because I started off on on mix show. And then eventually in the next semester, I got my own shift. So that literally was like the first semester that I had my first shift. It was uh, Friday, like morning, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. Yeah. And Dion rushed into the studio and I never met Dion. I'm a freshman, so I don't really know the alumni yet. And he's like, you're a freshman? You sound like you're a junior or a senior. He's like, you sound very comfortable. You sound good. So like that encouragement really also helped me. So I got encouragement from Dion, who at the time was in Miami and he was doing, I believe, afternoons in Miami. So that was like validation. And then my mother just supporting my decision to take up radio as a major. I then transferred into Newhouse and the rest is history. (laughs) 15, almost, yeah, 15 years later, I'm still here. So I was going to ask you about Dion. I know you did some stuff with Dion at SiriusXM. Tell me about that. Oh, my God. It's funny how the world is. And that's why, like, you know, you learn this lesson when you're in school. Like, oh, be careful how you treat people or, you know, um, make sure you keep in contact or you network, like genuinely network. Networking doesn't mean like I email you when I need a job. It means like you build a genuine connection with this person. You follow up with them. You let them know what's going on in your life. You know, they're like kind of there with you on your journey and you're there with them, you know, like Dion's dog passed away. And I remember like reaching out to him and, you know, that's how you build a genuine connection with someone. So that's my idea of networking in the beginning, just building like that genuine connection. Sure. But it's funny how life works. I met him when I was a freshman. He was very encouraging. And then my first job I got at SiriusXM, at the time I got hired to be a music coordinator. Eventually I became a program director, but I got hired as a music coordinator. Was that your first job out of school, the music coordinator job? That was my first job. I wasn't on air yet. I had aspirations Mm -hmm. to be on air, but um, that's not why they hired me. They hired me to do programming. So what does music coordinator at SiriusXM do? It's mainly scheduling music? Uh, I had to edit Casey Kasem countdowns. Mm -hmm put in Mark Goodman and Nina Blackwood's voice tracks. <laughs> Mar- you know, Martha Quinn, I had to help her. Alan, I had to cut down his track. So it's more like a lot of editing, inputting music scheduling. Uh, that wasn't music scheduling yet, but just inputting the log. It's a lot of, I guess, like the groundwork that you have to do in order to build up to be a program director. You know, it's that first step. And then after that, you, you know, start scheduling logs and, After that, you start building clocks. So it's like a very, at least when I was, well, I'm still there, but I'm not a programmer anymore. They walk you through it slowly. I already knew all that stuff. Matt Del Signor had taught me. I mean, I knew more programming. I learned more from Matt (laughs) than, you know, probably a lot of people I worked with. So when I stepped into that role, I already knew what I was doing. So it was very easy for me to excel. But how life would happen at the time, Dion was at XM and I got hired by Sirius. This is before the merger. 
So like six months later, they merge everything and they literally lay off half the staff and they, you know, merge everything together. And Dion was the program director at the time. What is the heat now? The station that I'm on now. So it just so happened that life would kind of bring us back together. And then I started working with Dion. I was his music director at the time. And by that time, when the merger happened, I was already starting to do on air stuff. So, um, yeah, I was on air doing music director stuff. And to this day, I still work with Dion. I'm on air on his station. So Dion has been like so important in my career and in my life and really supportive. When are you on on Sirius for those listening? I'm on the heat at night, 6 p.m. to 12 midnight. And Dion's actually right before me. So let me tell you something about Dion. He's so amazing. When I was pregnant, you know, it's, it's kind of weird being a pregnant woman in the industry because... And some people are like, what are you doing here? You're pregnant. Stay home. Like, hello, I need to work. <laughs> Just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean that I don't have two mortgages. You know, people are like, what are you doing here? You're pregnant. Like, I, I can't stay home. Like, this is not the world we live in. Right. And I love my job. So why would I want to stay home? Right. So BET weekend, Dion and I do that all the time. We go out there, we broadcast live. Obviously, we didn't do it for like the past two years because of the pandemic. But this is the first year that we were going to be back in LA broadcasting live on the station, you know, and Dion could have easily been like, you're pregnant. You can't be out here. You're a liability. You know, all the things that people think when, you know, you work for them or with them. Yeah. And he didn't, he was supportive and I was broadcasting live BT weekend while I was pregnant. And it actually ended up being like a really fun thing. Cause a lot of the artists could identify with that. And he was like, I'm so amazed at the fact that you're literally broadcasting live for hours and pregnant. And the baby was so good when I was pregnant. Like she knew like, oh, mommy's working. Let me not bother her. Right. So I didn't have like any major complications. Obviously, I didn't do any of the after partying or anything like I would go work, go right back to my hotel and literally rest, upload videos, you know, send interviews, edit clips on my phone, on my laptop. But Yeah, he was so supportive. So it's like I had to tell him afterwards, like, Dion, thank you for being supportive to women who are, you know, building their families. And that's so important because you have no idea how many people were like, well, you're pregnant. What are you doing here? And I have to laugh. I'm like, I'm not disabled. (laughs) I'm pregnant. (laughs) Like if I couldn't do this, I wouldn't put myself in this position. Right. Right. But um Dion has been so important and pivotal to my career and literally like I remember when I stopped doing mornings in Philly, I did mornings for six years. Once you do mornings for that long, it's kind of hard. Like mornings is like an acquired taste. You're either there for it or, you know, you're not. <laughs> so, it's a brutal schedule. Yeah. Right. So the, I, the schedule killed me. My personal life was like literally dead because all I did was work. Yeah. And I was ready to like kind of take a time out from radio and I started doing more TV. So I kind of caught that bug a little bit. And I remember telling Dion, like, I think I'm just going to take a time out. And he was like, no, what are you talking about? Like, no, don't take a time out. Like, at the very least, just at least do part time, you know, and start pursuing these other things that you um, are interested in. But don't walk away because once you walk away, it's very hard to get back in. So that was like really life changing advice because he's the one that kept me in, you know, when I was ready to just kind of be like, I don't know if I want to continue to do this. I later found out that uh, (laughs) I was just burnt out from mornings. And, you know, that was just kind of like 
just like a knee jerk reaction to kind of like just really, you know, busting my butt for six years. But yeah, I mean, long story long, (laughs) Dion has been like so incredible and, and supportive and just really like an angel in my career. That's so great to hear. How far along were you when you were out in L.A. doing the BET stuff? I was six and a half, almost seven. Wow. Okay. Seven months. Um, You're allowed to travel up to eight months. And he even asked, like, can you travel? I'm like, well, yeah, technically, yeah, you can't travel once you're like in your eight, you know, eight months or 36 weeks is what they call it. Um, So, yeah, I was seven, almost seven months pregnant in L.A. broadcasting live. And um, yeah, it was such an amazing experience. And um, it was really like a full circle moment for me. Like I'm literally bringing life into this world and carrying a child and doing what I love. And she gets to feel that. I just really felt so incredibly blessed that weekend. I'm like, I'm so proud of myself, but I just feel so lucky to be able to be pregnant and still do what I love. I was going to say your daughter, Athena, has met more celebrities before she was born than most people meet in a lifetime. If you look at your social media, you've got all these artists, you know, with a hand on your belly and talking to you and at the radio station at the BET Awards. Like, that's really cool that someday you'll be able to tell her those stories of like before you were even here, you met this person and that person and so on and so forth. You know what? I I learned from this experience who really I I mean, none of these people are really your friends, right? Because you meet them through work. Yeah. But you build a relationship while talking to like interviewing someone like in the hip hop community. We lost this guy recently. His name is PNB Rock. And I had interviewed him so much and I had done so many concerts and I had interacted with him so much that I built like a like a connection to him. And it's not like we were best friends or we text all the time, but there's a weird relationship that you build with artists, even though it's just work. Right. But you build this weird connection from dealing with them for so long and interacting with them over the years. And I really learned in my pregnancy who reciprocated that. Like Neo mm-hmm. was like very encouraging. He gave me a lot of advice. He talked about his five kids and then literally put his hand on my stomach. And I didn't ask. I think the only person I asked to put their hand on my stomach was Lizzo. Cause I'm like, Lizzo, I want you to bless my baby. <laughs> Shouldn't it be the other way around, Mina? Shouldn't it be they ask you if they can put no, your hand on your I stomach? No, I Lizzo. I'm like, please, put your hand on my baby. <laughs> like, rub off on my baby. So, and Lizzo's a Taurus. I'm a Taurus. So, you know, I have like this Taurus connection. But yeah, the artists kind of just did that on their own. Like this R&B singer, Jacquees, like just put his hand on my stomach. Um, Neo. There's a rapper. Her name is Bia. She just like started talking to the baby. And I didn't, I didn't like tell them to do anything. I just but I would document it. Right. So I have this video of yeah. Bia, Bia talking to my baby inside of the stomach. And it just created amazing content. And I really learned who had a real genuine connection with me, like a Neo, like a Jacquees. People who would e- either give me advice or just very naturally react very lovingly towards the bump instead of like, why are you here? <laughs> why are you working? You're pregnant. Go home. <laughs> well, I think that's something we all kind of learn at JPZ is be relatable. Find a way to relate to your audience. And being pregnant is something that so many people can relate to either having gone through it or having had a partner that's gone through it. I I think it's great that you were able to just make that deeper connection with these artists. And yeah, the content is great, but so are the connections. Yeah. Let me ask you about your terrestrial career, the terrestrial side of your career in radio. So we talked about the SiriusXM stuff and how uh, much of an advocate and a friend and a mentor Dion Summers has been to you. Tell me about your career on the terrestrial radio side. So I got hired by Sirius, Sirius SiriusXM to be a programmer. Uh, I was there for four years the first time. 
And I'm now there in my second stint. (laughs) So the first time I was there for four years and I left because the programming thing really started to take off. And I was a program director. I was programming the holiday channels, like the Halloween, Christmas, had SiriusXM Love as a channel that I was programming. I was programming another station, random station called Super Shuffle, which is like a cluster F of like a whole bunch of random songs put on one station. So when you say programming, you're scheduling yes. the music? Yeah. And then I was Dion's music director. And then I was an assistant programmer on 80s on 8 with Martha Quinn and, you know, all the 80s VJs. So I left because the programming stuff really started to take off. And I was on air, but I wanted to focus on my on-air career. And at Sirius, like once you get hired to do a pro, you're a programmer. Like obviously being a programmer is more important than being on air. I'm not saying on air is not important, but when you're responsible for the whole station, that kind of should take precedence over, you know, you doing your job breaks. So um, I left to focus on on air. I went to Power 99 in Philly to do mornings. I was there for six years. So at the time I had applied for a midday slot there. And it just so happened that the morning show girl got hired at the time that I was applying. And then they said, well, we think you have the perfect personality to do mornings. And then I ended up taking the morning show slot along with a digital manager slot. And at the time, mm-hmm. digital manager literally meant Facebook, right? <laughs> Facebook <laughs> and like... What, what year is this? Um, 2012. Okay, yep. So it yep. meant Facebook. It didn't mean, you know, and the website. It didn't mean TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. I think Twitter had just started, but like radio station platforms were not on there They were kind of like, oh, that's something cool for the kids, not like something that we need to do in order to reach, you know, our our listening audience. So at the time, it was like a small job to be the digital manager. But over the course of six years, it became a humongous job. And by the end of it, I was literally doing the website, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok had just started. I was like so burnt out (laughs) between like, let me write my, you know, my story for the website. Let me post it to all these websites, you know, all these social media sites. Let me, you know, monitor the sites, put up social content. I was overwhelmed in addition to doing mornings. So I tried at the time to get the digital stuff off of my plate. And I was literally told, like, this is the job. Take it or leave it. So there it just seemed like there was no negotiation when it came to my role that doing mornings and having this digital job was kind of like the package. So I very quickly realized that I wasn't going to get what I wanted. I just wanted to do on air at that point because that was always the goal. Mm -hmm. I just took that extra position for a little bit more money. But I didn't know what that position was going to become. So at the end of it, I'm like, okay, this is a this is a whole nother job. So I had to literally make the choice of I have to leave in order to figure out, you know, how I can pursue and do what I want to do without, you know, this extra position. So I left power. And this is when I was like, well, maybe I need to take a time out. And this is when Dion came in and said no. And then I started doing weekends on Sirius XM. And then I was also working in New York for a terrestrial station, uh, a Cumulus station that was later sold. You know, Cumulus at that time sold all their stations in New York. And that's kind of the gamut that I've run. You know, I, I, I went up to New York. I was doing part-time. I was working for a terrestrial station. I was ironically producing digital content with artists. I was doing TV in Philly at the time. And then I quickly learned that I missed being on the radio. You know, I I did my podcast, of course, but I quickly learned that, no, I need to get back to doing radio full time. 
So um, then I came back to Philly and I started doing middays. And obviously I'm still at Sirius XM. So that, that was kind of my terrestrial journey. And you're still doing middays in Philly now? I am. On what station? Uh, 100.3 WRMB. It's a Radio 1 station. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. And you're doing TV stuff now too still? or So the TV thing I have to put on timeout. During the pandemic, I literally was applying for like full-time reporter jobs or hosting jobs, whatever, anything TV related. And then everything stopped. <laughs> so I felt like the pandemic said like timeout to the TV and I was just, during the pandemic, I was sitting at home. I was literally doing middays for one station, then nights for Sirius XM, and kind of just doing that the whole time. And that's how it's been since the, the pandemic started. So 2020, I've been doing middays and nights on both stations. From home or going into the station? or From home. Yeah, I didn't start going into the station for, I think, like last year, maybe around this time we started. But yeah, from home, I was doing both stations. It was very difficult. But yeah, so now I'm, I would still work for that terrestrial station in Philly. And then I also work at Sirius XM. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Let me bring it back to WJPZ. So talk to me a little bit about lessons you learned at the station. I know you talked a lot about, you know, Matt teaching you about music and then Sean bringing you in. What are some of the lessons you've learned at JPZ that formed the foundation of the career you've had so far? Everything I know, I learned at JPZ and it's incredible. I don't, you hear that when you're a student, but you're like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but like literally, so uh, Sean and I were responsible for updating the station to profit. So when we were there, we were actually operating under Audio Vault. When I was a program director and Sean was the GM at the time, Sean, along with Tex, did all, and then Alex Silverman helped as well. And then Alex went on to become the general manager the next year. And I was a program director then. So I worked with uh, Alex Silverman and Sean Scott uh, as a programmer. But before Alex came around or before Alex was promoted, uh, Sean and I literally transitioned the whole station to profit. So um, him and Tex did like obviously the technical stuff. And then it was my job to learn the operating system, which I learned from Tex. And then obviously Matt Del Signor. And then I had yeah. to teach the staff. Right. You know, I was a program director at the time. I literally did not know how valuable that information was. I knew how to voice track. It's funny. Now you go to the station and they all voice track, right? It's like normal. But back then, no one at the station voice tracked because we were on audio vault and you had to be there live. So I literally ushered in that new wave of like voice tracking. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> but well, no, let me let me stop you there, Mina, because that's a really good point that you just made, because I think some from the outside looking in who haven't seen the changes in the industry, they would be like, oh, you know, we used to be live back in the day. And now you're voice tracking stuff. Would you say that's just kind of where the industry has gone? What would you say to somebody who has issue with that? That's exactly what our thinking was. This is where things are going and we need to prepare students what it's like out there. I mean, you, you we all have this utopian idea of what we want radio to be, but that's just not what it is right now. So I always thought of JPZ as the teaching ground for what you will experience when you go out into the world. It's very 
unrealistic to think that you're going to graduate from school and go right into a live on air shift. That's just not how it is. In fact, Mm. people now use voice tracking as kind of like an educational tool, right? Well, you're not ready to be live. You have to voice track first. Before it used to be like, oh, you're live. This is how you learn now. You learn live and then voice track is a perk, right? <laughs> like you get to voice track now that you're so good. It's so funny because I think back to my very first radio gig and that was back in 2004 and we had Profit Next Gen and my program director for the first week had me voice track the whole show until I got comfortable with Next Gen. That was, you know, almost 20 years ago. So that's a really good point. That's, but it literally shifted. It used to be you're live and once you're live, now it's a perk that you can go and voice track, right? Now it's actually shifted. Now it's like, well, you have to voice track first before you can be live because we don't want you to mess it up. <laughs> we don't want you to take us off air. We don't want dead air. We don't want commercials not running. We don't want you not hitting the post. Even like the overnights, you know, like we always knew that the overnights were kind of like the training ground for you to be able to do any other shift. That's kind of how voice tracking is now. You don't go right to being live. You voice track first. But back in that day in... 2000, what, six, we did this change. Maybe, yeah, 2006, I think. Maybe going into 2007, it was a perk to voice track. Everyone could not voice track. Everybody didn't have the software. All stations weren't doing it yet. And we kind of saw it as this is where the industry is going. And Clear Channel always had profit. So it wasn't Clear Channel slash iHeartMedia. They already had profit. They were already voice tracking. And then people used to be like, you know, Clear Channel killed the radio. (laughs) But it's like, this is where things were going because at the time, Clear Channel was and still is one of the biggest radio companies. And they were already doing this. If we're going to prepare our students to be out in the world of radio, they have to know how to do this. So. That's kind of how we looked at it. So it was my job to learn the software and then teach it and then make sure that people were utilizing it properly. So um, I trained the first staff of JPZers that were actually voice tracking and we were completely live prior to that. So I remember the stank face that I got. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, because I remember. So my rule was during the day you had to be live. But after like 10 o'clock, everything was voice tracked all the way until 6 a.m. for the Z Morning Zoo. Mm -hmm. At that time, we were actually losing students because a lot of the students, it it was that weird shift when Napster was around. You know, it was like that weird phase where like Napsters here um, were starting to download illegal music. Not a lot of people are listening to the radio when you have your, you know, your CD of illegal music that you burned off your Napster or whatever. So (laughs) we were starting to actually lose students. So I had to recruit from scratch Mm -hmm. and teach people that had never been a part of the radio station, radio and um, profit next gen. So this is actually the first time since I had been there during that time that we actually had someone on air every hour. Wow. Prior to that, we actually didn't even have, um, I think Lindsay was a program director. We didn't have a lot of people working overnights. Nobody wanted to stay in the radio station overnight. And obviously things were, some people did and some people didn't. There were a lot of overnight shifts that were not filled. So when I became the program director, it was actually the first time since I had been there that we had every overnight shift filled. And it's because I made sure that all our overnights were tracked and that we were live during the day. So I remember like, 
alumni like, wait, you have all your shifts filled? And I'm like, yeah, well, some people are voice tracking. It depends on their schedule, right? If you can't be there live, I'll give you a voice track shift. Uh, some people are live and, you know, some people were like, oh, that's incredible. And some people were like, ah, you're voice tracking. <laughs> so, But I think that speaks to the mission of the station being the world's greatest media classroom. Yeah. And I think at that time you would have been doing the students a disservice if they came out and didn't know how to voice track because, again, Clear Channel iHeart tops on the list, but other companies doing the same thing too. If you come out, oh, I don't know how to voice track. Well, that's the way the industry was at the time and still is. So I think that was good foresight on your part. So- and then we went through some changes programming wise too. I mean, not even on air. I mean, you have to think of that time period, 2004 to 2008. This is literally when everything was changing, right? The beginning of the 2000s. Yeah. So I remember when I started programming, we were on DOS. Oh, yeah, Selector. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I learned how to program on DOS, which now you tell people that and they're like, what? <laughs> That's like ancient, right? But I was a kid. I was like, what, 19 years old? I was program, you know, learning how to program the radio station from Matt. So, I, you know, I have my keyboard here. You used to, pro- well, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but you used to do your log with the four up and down side to side keys. The arrow keys and the F keys and all that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. And we actually moved over into Music Master. So that was another thing. That was a Windows-based programming software. And at the time, when I started learning how to program, we were on DOS. And then we moved into, you know, Music Master and then doing the Windows-based program, which I learned as well. And then I had to teach to, you know, the assistant program director at the time. So while I was there, I learned so much technical-wise when it came to radio because, we were responsible with ushering in the next wave and I had to teach people. So I already knew how to seg in order to know how to properly use profit and all of the buttons and, you know, amazing things that it does, you have to have proper training. So in me teaching other people, I learned the software so well. So when I went out into the real world, I was ready. I, you know, serious at the time was using profit so it's like I didn't need to be trained on that. I already knew how to work it. And it put me at an advantage that I knew Profit already, that I knew Music Master, which Sirius was using at the time. So that learning curve where you're learning the software, I skipped right over that. So that actually allowed nice. me to be promoted a lot faster because I didn't have to learn how to use the clock. I didn't have to be taught about the philosophy of the clock. I just needed to be taught programming on a professional level, which I learned from Kid Kelly because he was my boss at Sirius when I was a programmer. So I learned programming philosophies and how to build a proper clock, you know, from Kid Kelly. But I learned the software at Z89. That's really huge. Tell me if you can think of any off the top of your head, Mina, a couple of funny stories or or stuff you remember fondly from your time at JPZ, just stuff that sticks with you. If you look back and say, remember the time when, that kind of stuff. You know, that's hard because there's so many moments like that. Um, It's like almost like when you walk into the radio station, you feel all warm and fuzzy because you have all these like (laughs) stupid memories of stuff. But I remember us camping out in the studio, you know, trying to raise money. You know, like there's so many moments and JPZ is just it's still a family and it's just hard to put it all in words. You know, we spent so much time learning software and teaching software. So many moments where like Sean and I had heart to hearts or Alex and I had heart to hearts or, you know, we're camping out trying to raise money for the radio station. 
So it was that like a fundraiser kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hazy. A lot of it is like you remember it, but it's hazy. I don't know why, but we were just camping out and we had blankets. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Lindsay was the program director at the time. I wasn't the program director yet. But we were in a station sleeping on the couch. Don't go on that. I don't even know if that couch is still there, but that couch is like... A lot of people have slept on that couch. And yeah, I just, you know, a lot of it is like everything was fun. It was like home. You know, it's like the one thing of home that we had. And eventually the rest of the campus, you know, you get comfortable with your surroundings and you build a family at school. But like Z89 was always home. All the funny stuff happened, all the pranks, you know, the campouts, the sleepouts. Uh, we're off air in the middle of the night. You got to go in. <laughs> you got to go in. I'm in my PJs. I used to live in day. I was in day. Oh, no. So I would have to come down from the mountain. <laughs> In my PJs to go to the radio station. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so many memories. It's it's hard to remember one. Yeah, I think so many of us can relate to what you just said. I know I can where I got to Syracuse in the fall and I was homesick and I really didn't find my connection and my tribe really until I started working at Z89 and met friends there of 75% of the people I still talk to from Syracuse are JPZ people, whether they're my classmates or alumni, younger or older, or, you know, half of them stood up in my wedding. And it's really that family atmosphere. And I think that's probably a great place to leave it. Mina, anything you want to plug as far as social media, how people can keep up with you? Uh, just follow me at Mina Say What. Athena has an Instagram as well. <laughs> so it's at Athena the baby doll. I literally want to post pictures and videos of her all day. And I know that people aren't following me. Like I have like 79,000 followers. I know they're not following me to have a thousand pictures of my daughter. Right. So I have to be very conscious of my brand. <laughs> but I had to create an Instagram for her because I'm like, I just cannot help myself. Every day I want to post videos and pictures. Last week she said what? She might have not even have said what, but in my head it sounds like what? Because she's starting to, you know, speak baby gibberish. So I'm like, I need to post my daughter saying what? So follow Athena and she's going to be at every radio station thing with me. And, you know, maybe one day she'll be in radio as well. Who knows? Two generations. Mina say what and Athena say what? Right. Three. My mother was on the radio. <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then my website, Mina say Mina, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us today. Really a blast having you and telling some great stories. Take care. Good luck with the baby. Good luck with your continued success in your career. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.